0: Whatever
1: comes up, comes out We don't put our hands over our mouth Yeah, whatever comes up, comes out We don't put our hands over our mouth Hey, everybody. This is The Unnecessary Podcast. And this is AJ. It's a Thursday afternoon here in Denver. And I'm joined here by Lee. What's up, Lee? Hey, how you doing? Good, man. So that was Brother Ali... And the song was called Forest Whitaker. Have you ever heard of Brother Ali? I have not. It kind of sounded like um that, that when the Rugrats movie came out and the, there was that rap
2: song in it. Uh, I think like Ali did it or something
1: like that. Wait, there was a Rugrats rap song. That that's kind of jar. I feel like I've I feel like I'm bringing up old traumatic memories. Or you are, and it's like. <laughs> Like, I'm like, I I remember a basement and a and a TV screen and a weird Rugrats, like, Mardi Gras type of, like, mask. Yeah. It's kind of
2: how memories are then, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't really know
1: what's real. That is true. You know, in sociology in college, they talked a lot about how witnesses can, you know, not be as reliable as you think they are. And, and they would do experiments, like, or they would do, they would do, um... Uh, demos in class, I guess you would say. Like somebody would would stand up in the middle of class and go, hey, I think you're a jerk. And he'd like throw an eraser and then he'd run out of the room. And then the professor would make everybody stop and ask to give accurate descriptions of what that person looked like, what they were wearing. And like people were fucking dead wrong.
0: That's, That's a genius teaching method.
1: Yes, it was a really... I don't, I don't remember if I was there for that or if I heard that story, but either way, it excited me.
2: And even that, that recollection of not even knowing if you were there just uh, adds to the point.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I don't... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, it, it proves exactly what we're talking about. I can't even remember if I was there or not. That's how bad my memory is. <laughs> recently that's really been messing with my head and I just,
2: I can't get, it's all in the back of my head when I'm thinking about something. And it's that when you remember something, you're not really remembering the event,
1: you're remembering the last time you remembered it. So, pretty much, yeah, yeah, so (sighs) the more you think about something, the less accurate
2: it becomes in your head. So if you obsess about something and think about something that happened in your past, you're only going to distort it more and more
1: until it becomes the thing that you fear the most. Da-da. That's incredible. Um, I <laughs> I'm just trying to think about mem- remembering memories and like. Yeah, well, well that's all you remember. So when right. it's the first time you think about something that
2: happened, you're you're not remembering the event, you're just remembering the memory.
1: Yeah, that's that's really trippy. Um,
2: yeah, our, our lives are lives.
1: Well, I've also heard about this kind of way of. Um, talking about the brain where like conventionally you would think of the brain as a large filing cabinet with individual files like bits of information that you could access um, but I, I don't know if this has been this theory's been changed but I remember reading books where they talk about how there's there's no particular spot where memories are held in the brain and and you know the brain itself is very elusive and um, as I'm talking I'm completely forgetting what I'm talking about which is great <laughs> But um. Well, well, I actually, I actually saw a video recently that said uh, this is a, a MRI of like a memory being created in someone's brain. Mm-hmm. So I guess what they mean by that is when, when somebody's like learning something new, this is what we see happening in the brain. We don't know what it is, but this is what's happening. Right. That's cool. So I thought
2: that was pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Well, you filled the space perfectly because now I remember what I was talking about. <laughs> um. Uh-huh. Conventionally, we think of the brain as a filing cabinet, but all these experiment like they they would have these experiments where they would they would take different parts of the a mouse's brain out and they would figure out if they were able to like forget certain things and they would take out all different kinds of the it was very brutal animal science yeah it seems humane. It seems very humane. it was definitely done in like the 50s but um uh, yeah. like I mean that stuff is
0: still going
1: on but I'm sure they're just mice there's <laughs> you breed like a million a day <laughs> but um you take out various parts of their brain, they might not be able to see, they might not be able to walk with a, you know, straight anymore, they might have a limp on half their body, you might kill them. But it's like all these mice were able to kind of figure out their way back to the sugar water or through the maze or whatever. But it all went into this guy's theory, or this analogy of the brain where you shouldn't think of it like a filing cabinet, you should think of it like a radio tuner, and your memory access and pretty much all your thoughts can... Can be looked at as tuning your brain into a certain frequency and almost like channeling that energy. So your brain can inhabit various states, and you can access memories not by fi- having it filed away somewhere physically, but having just reaching that frequency. Almost like your brain's on the cloud. It's kind of like when you when you defragment a computer and it
2: kind of fills in all the spaces. When you need something, it kind of extracts those spaces into the the border that it's supposed to be in so you can read it. Uh, Maybe it's kind of like that, like the brain holds all this knowledge in the electrical energy that it stores,
1: and then when you need to access the certain things, it it pulls it out somehow, some way. Yeah, yeah, it holds the potential, like, it holds the potential for the memory and the potential for that to be conjured up accurately or semi-accurately. Right. Uh, like, I think about, they always talk about how your olfactory, your sense of smell, um, is the most closely linked to your memory. And because it literally travels through a certain part of your brain that taste buds do not. Right. Um, and you, when, you're, when, you, when I smell something, like recently, okay, um, Eva went to uh, get her hair did, as they say in the community where I live. So Eva went to get her hair did. <laughs> And um, it wasn't a weave, but she got it did, as far as I'm concerned. And um, when she came back, she had this aroma on her from whatever the product they put in her hair. And it reminded me of my uncle and aunt's house growing up, my auntie and Uncle Tommy. And we would spend every Christmas there and so many family get togethers, you know, Thanksgiving, summer barbecues, everything. And it was a place I love so much in my memory. Like, it is it, is, it could be one of my happy places. Like Some of my greatest memories, some of the best nights of my life have happened there. So it all came back to me just in this smell. I was thinking about my Uncle Tommy's Movado watches and him showing me the present that he got for my cousin Thomas, his son. Like some whatever few hundred dollar watch that you know he had to fucking drain his bank account for, stupidly. But <laughs> yeah. um, it was just so cool how this one fucking smell from her going to the goddamn hair place... Just just brought back all these memories that I literally haven't thought of, I don't know, in 10, 15 years.
2: Yeah, it's just all stored up
1: there. It's somewhere. Um, so before we got on this little recording, um, I was meditating. Well, first I was listening to some podcasts of my own, some politics, some sports. But then I wanted to meditate before getting on and usually I just focus on my breathing. Um, I've been meditating for like 12 years, not consistently. I had to uh-huh. take breaks to take shits and shower and eat. Um, so <laughs> have been meditating on and off for <laughs> 12 years, but, um, I, I just like the act of focusing on my breathing. It's the first thing I ever learned. It's the first thing most people learn when they start meditating or get into Buddhism or yoga. Um, I like to either focus on my chest rising and falling or kind of, the, the the energy of the air going in and out of my nostrils. Um, but it's an opportunity to obviously relax and steady your mind, but it's a chance to focus on one and only one thing, um, which is key to meditating. And one thing I love thinking about, or I, what came to me as I was slowing my breathing was this line that I think Alan Watts would talk about, about how when you breathe, think about, is it something that you do or is it something that does you, you know, do you do it or does it do you? And I thought that was so interesting yeah. because, and then I started thinking about how my breath is with me in my whole life. Like it, it's, it's been carried with me and, and it's this, this give and take. And if you tried to stop breathing, you know, you'd pass out and you your body would just start breathing normally. Um, so it's something that's very much done to you, but you also do it. And, it gives perfect insight into the nature of of Buddhism. There's so many metaphors to go from there, but when I was laying down and breathing, I was thinking about how it's a pattern, the in and out, the intertake of you do it and it does you. Um, there's stages to it and there's cycles. It's an eternal cycle. And it's a harmony between me and the act. And, and for some reason, I thought about the seasons, the changing seasons, um, how it's an eternal pattern. And how you build up energy like in the springtime and with your air coming in and and you are fulfilled in the summertime and you exhale in the fall and and kind of winter is, is that, that dark time. And um, I don't know, it just all came to me while meditating, which is fun. But the thing is, there's, there's my breath is, I was thinking how my breath is a metaphor for eternity because just like the seasons, just like political cycles, just like anything, you know, it, it's eternal, yet always changing, um, and there's metaphors all over my body, and, and um, it's just cool to, to receive that. Do you meditate at all? Have you ever done that? Um, well, first off, it's funny that you
2: said the thing about the seasons, because as soon as you started talking about the breathing being a cycle, I thought about a little, um, one of those little gifts that I saw of uh, fast, just like fast forward, of the season's changing, and it said it looks like the earth is breathing with you know, the, the cloud cover and, and then receding and then everything turning you know, white and gray and then everything turning green. It was just like, I, that's immediately what I thought of. Um, but I, I kind of meditate in a way. Um, I was actually talking to one of my other friends about this pretty recently. Um, and he was saying how he meditates and it helps him you know, forget all the bad stuff that's going on and just focus on what he has to do at this present moment. Um, and I said, you know, I don't really meditate, but I do play music by myself alone um, and that's kind of like my meditation you know there's there's all these different notes but really it's all just pulling pieces out of this one long sequential line where just all the, the notes originate from so like I can start with one note and then multiply it and then pretty much do whatever I want with them on the guitar or the keyboard um, i actually played the guitar for about 20 minutes before I came to do this and I, I didn't even really think about it like that Uh, So I would say, yes, I do meditate in
1: that way. Absolutely. And that reminds me of a point when I started meditating, like in high school, it was because um, I was learning about existential philosophy and the beatniks and and the summer of love and kind of the cultural movements of the 60s. And um, they, you know, those intellectual groups in the U.S. looked towards Buddhism, ultimately, after they went through existentialism and, and their beat phase um and I felt like it was the right thing to do so i'm like all right i'm going to try this this is what smart i i've lived this mantra where like i try and imitate intelligent people and just do what emulate them you know i figure it's good enough for yeah. them it's good enough for fucking me so i would start yeah, meditating Exactly. I was telling my I was telling Eva, I was telling Eva that like if you just pretend to be nice, after like a few years, you're just a nice person. So like, yep. You know. You <laughs> um, but when I when I started meditating, I'm I'm breathing and doing these exercises, and I was convinced that I wasn't doing it correctly. Um, fortunately, in, in gym in high school, my teacher Miss Yagoda offered uh, yoga as like a, a part of a gym class option, which was dope. So I was able to have, yeah. like, teachers like that and able to read a little bit. But I always felt like I'm doing this wrong. Like, this is not right. And 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 for many years, while studying Buddhism and meditating, I was kind of insistent that meditating is only... You can only meditate in very specific ways. And right. most of that involved not thinking and eliminating, you know, the processes. And um, I've learned, you know, in the past few years that... There's literally hundreds of techniques to meditating. There's so many different varieties that were, that were tested and, and teased around with throughout history. Um, and also I, I watched a film, a, a YouTube video with Ken Wilbur, this famous Buddhist, and he would talk about how um, as enlightened as Buddhism is, um, to, despite the, sorry for the pun, but um, as enlightened as Buddhism is, they didn't have a lot of female practitioners um, in history. And women weren't allowed to become well, there were a lot of female practitioners, but women weren't allowed to become monks. And that changed pretty recently. I don't know how recently, but he he was saying that as a result, you missed out on all these different techniques of meditating and all these different ideas. And um, like for a long time, meditating was just you sit in a room with no stimulation and you stare at a wall for 10 hours. (laughs) And um, but yeah, there's there's so many varieties to that. And. That's definitely a kind of meditation. And, and you know, if you took a brain scan and and when you – the process of learning the guitar is itself a meditative process. Yeah. It's similar to like I like to dance and learning. I, there's nothing more satisfying for me than practicing a dance move or a way to move my legs or arms. And it's weird. There's There's – it feels – you can feel it in your brain when it goes from one part of your brain to another. Like I can feel it transition from I'm trying to do this. I'm forcing the muscles in this way and it feels awkward to it. it, There's a transition point where at some point your brain takes over. It moves to the back of your brain. um, Like the, the cerebellum, I believe. And it becomes like an automatic movement and it's like if you were playing piano, but yeah, I love that kind of process. That to me is very fulfilling. Yeah, just the,
2: the muscle memory. Yeah.
1: Yep. Um, do you you play the drums as well as a guitar?
2: Yes, I do.
1: Do you play bass? Yeah,
2: I actually learned drums in the basement of the fraternity um, on Will the drum set, who is now the uh, manager of Wiz Khalifa. So that, that's
1: cool. That's right, Taylor Gang Records, Wiz Khalifa. Yeah. That was, um, you know, we were we were nerds and like we talk about how great college was and some of it is overblown and some of it is like just typical like, yeah, you talk about how great it was, but the day-to-day, yeah. you know, the day-to-day of college wasn't as spectacular as any movie or as, as we would even, you know, portray how sweet it is, but
0: yeah.
1: times like having Wiz Khalifa play at your party, <laughs> like... Yeah. Those go down as special moments, you know? <laughs> Those are movie-worthy moments. So that was that was a good time. Those were always fun. Uh, at some point, like four years after we graduated, about six years ago, maybe, I texted Will because I was talking to some friends in New York about Wiz Khalifa. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's still the man. And they're like, oh, did he get dumped? Like after Wiz got famous. And I'm like, I don't think so. Like, let me shoot him a text. So I shoot Will a text. And I'm like, hey, dude, like, this is your old frat bro, AJ? Like, are you still, you still running with uh, Wiz? And he got back to me that night. He was like, yeah, dude, still running strong. I'm like, that is dope.
2: Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. First
1: self-made millionaire I know. I suppose. Um, well, no, my dad. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Dude, my dad has some stories. I, I asked my dad if I could record him and I having conversations next time I see him in Florida because he's just got these fucking stories, and, and I've heard most of them, but like going back to that memory conversation and how sweet it is to have this technology, it's like, dude, we can I can listen to my dad in 40 years. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, he might be 110 years old. He might still be alive for all I fucking know. But you know consider yeah, yeah, know. if he's not here in 40 years like I'll be able to listen to him and and your memory goes when you're older and and it would be cool to hear those but he he fucking put the kibosh on that he's he's old school bronx fucking my lips are sealed motherfucker oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i i ain't no snitch you know <laughs> yeah that's crazy fucking snitches get stitches lee got to remember that yeah well he was he was he should have been dishonorably discharged from the Marines um because he stole a Jeep for for a weekend um off the Marine base in, in California. Um he was in the Marine Reserves and he just decided like I'm gonna fucking take this Jeep and he just took it, he stole, you know, hey, no- a
2: nice Jeep he got there. Yeah. Take
1: Actually, that, that's more of a I feel like that might be a Brooklyn accent He's, he's from the Bronx So it would be like uh, Hey, what, what the fuck am I gonna do? I see a truck I'm gonna get in the fucking truck What the fuck do you want from me? So, he got He, got, he bought the guy's fucking donuts and coffee <laughs> He bought like He bought donuts and coffee for, for his boys For like the, the regiment or whatever and, um he came back, and I don't know if this was before or after he stole the jeep, but at one point they fucking locked him up in solitary confinement for fucking three days and that's, that's crazy he, and he was in the marine or maybe it was a day and a half, but he was in the he was in the reserve, so he said it was illegal for them to keep him <laughs> into Monday. he had to go back to fucking <laughs> go back to real, the real world, oh, that's funny. and so like they had to release him. And they told him to just go home. He just said, like, get your things, go the fuck home, like, we'll, we'll contact you. And he never heard from the Marines again. And for 40 years, he was, like, afraid to, to ask anybody to look into it, to see if he had veterans benefits, because he was afraid, like, he'd get fucking court-martialed.
2: <laughs> yeah, you never know.
1: But um, you know,
2: that's, that's, So still to this day, does he not know?
1: Now nah, we figured it out. Um my ex Lauren was in the Marines and so we when she got out I was like, you know, what? like let's let's get my dad's DD214 like he can just ask for it and so we told him to ask for it, and he finally did and he got he he had an honorable discharge cuz that would have shown up on like background checks. I mean, he he used to get investigated by the SEC cuz he was on Wall Street.
2: Yeah.
1: So like He had this assault charge when he was, like, 20 years old that came up when he was, like, 50, running for the vice chairman. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah,
2: I feel like stuff that's that old. You know what I mean? Like, you're such a different person 30 years later. It's crazy to keep all that stuff in the back burner.
1: That's true. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they knew the guy. He had been working there for 30 years, so it's like, we know the guy. And, yeah, exactly. You take things... When you were twenty, or when it was thirty years ago, you take those with a grain of salt, for sure. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. Just think about you know ten years ago.
1: Um, I'd rather not think about ten years ago.
2: <laughs> Two thousand seven.
1: Well, we were uh, we were ball,
2: balls deep in
1: college. We were. Um. Did did I tell you about the magic iPod? I don't believe so. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. So it's this awesome website that um, it's like this programmer just made just for the fun of it. And he takes, yeah. he takes, it's all these, he has like a soundboard of songs from 2007 and you can make your own mashup. It's a lot of fucking fun. <laughs> so it's that's called, cool. it's called the com, And I got to, I got to fucking play something for you. It's just too funny not to yeah. play. Um, Let's see. I want to do Missy Elliott. I feel like I, I feel like I remember the music from the
2: '90s, but the '2000s are just like a blur of like shitty post rock and like post shit pop. You know what I mean? Like I don't know what happened over the last seventeen years.
1: Yeah, there was there was like rap rock in in like two thousand two thousand, like Lincoln Park oh, and stuff.
2: Yeah, new metal, yeah, new metal, Limp Biscuit and Corn.
1: Yep, there was that like that late '90s, early two thousands thing and um and then there was like um like emo um a wave of destruction like death death cab for cutie um and then there was like the post oh. the the pop punk thing like jet are you going to be my girl which is a fucking awesome song yeah. so like yeah there was like this beep kind beep, of beep, 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 yeah like kind of yeah that offbeat hi hat kind of like a a pop punk sort of sound which is good yeah. i like that shit um so, yeah. Let me let me play this magic iPod stuff. This is just the best thing I've ever heard. So, Lee, in case you can't hear this, it's um, yeah, it's Missy Elliott, um, mashed up with short skirt, long jacket by Cake. So she's like. So she's like, I got these thick hips, drop it down. And <laughs> it's like Dude, do, 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 doo 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 it's it's <laughs> so pretty much just this guy found he found songs that were um I guess the same tempo and he yeah. he I he, he just identified he would just load up these songs, drop out, you know, he just isolated Missy Elliott's lyrics and then um took out Cake's lyrics and just inserted Missy's lyrics in, and it's fucking magical. Now, now
2: is, it, is it only songs from 2007, or can you choose different years?
1: It is only fucking songs from 2007. Are you
2: serious? <laughs> That's
1: so funny. Actually, it might not be. I don't know if Smash Mouth All Star might have been earlier. I think that was earlier. Was it? I don't know, but yeah, that
0: might have been like a, more of a high school song. But
1: I'm about to play Smash Mouth All Star with. Somebody. But the theme is hip hop mixed with. Mixed with raw. <inaudible> <Motherfucker.
0: laughs>
1: this is DMX. Fuck
0: <laughs> <She was> <laughs> what you heard. With <inaudible> That's what you hear it. Listen. what you hear it. Listen. It's what you hear it. Listen. X don't give it to you
1: Don't give it to your ex, gon' give it to you
0: knock, knock, open up the door, it's real. I got
2: such a good heart that I make the motherfucker wonder. Um
1: shout shout out to dmx he's actually he actually used to live in bedford at one point the town next to me but um yeah so the fucking magic of that is dmx x gonna give it to you it's all about how x is gonna give it to you and um and he's not (laughs) he's not particularly gentle about how he gives it to you um i believe Uh, i believe he says at one point like like, fuck waiting for it, I'm going to give it to you, or something like that. It's it's <laughs> He says it actually more... really funny video of him doing
2: Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on uh, YouTube, I
1: think. Wait, DMX doing Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer? Yeah,
2: he's he just like banging on the table and singing Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer. Out of those shiny nose, come on! Like, it's, uh, it's so great. It's just pure DMX. I know the lyrics.
1: All right, let's see. You know
2: Dasher and Dancer and Dancer. And <laughs> oh, oh, oh. listen? But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? <laughs> Come on. Rudolph those reindeer <laughs> out of every shiny nose. Oh, and if uh. you ever saw him, you oh, oh. would even say it close. Come but
0: on, come on. You <laughs> have <call> them names.
2: <laughs> names. for
1: Rudolph, any game. <laughs> they never let Bermuda. <laughs> um, <laughs> that reminds me. Eva loves my um my Louis Armstrong um impression. What a wonderful world. And she says <laughs> yeah. she says it's very Muppet like. <laughs> I can see that. It's like as skies <laughs> He really was, and and I told her like he sounded like that at fucking twenty. <laughs> There's video yeah. of it. There, there, okay, there's some super, like, beautifully racist videos from, or one particular video from early in Louis Armstrong's career. So this was probably the 20s or 30s. Um, well, like it yeah. must have been the 30s because we didn't have talkies till 28. Um, so this was definitely the 30s or 40s. So Louis's like a, you know, a 30 year old man and he looks, or he's younger than that or whatever, and he's wearing. This fucking like Amazon jungle Oogie Boogie Man fucking like um tiger skin toga robe thing. It was like super yeah. like jungle man. It was like um coming to America. <laughs> the king, forget his name. What is this, yeah, and they go to Queens because they figure that's where you can find a queen. It's beautiful. The Queen, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. But um yeah, that he's just he's just dressed like a jungle man and um and and singing, and he's like, <laughs> It's like, gee you're like twenty, like smoking Marlboro's in the womb, dude. Yeah, I
2: guess
1: so. Oh yeah. Marlboros, smoke them in the womb. Yes. <laughs> um well hold on one second. I think I think we might have think, what, were, what were you talking about? I think, think we might have a bit here. Let's see. Are you a housewife? Are you worried that your son or daughter in the womb might need a cigarette? Well that's great news. We have tasty cigarettes for your womb and for your unborn baby. Try infant cigarettes. Prenatal, from the makers of Radioactive Toothpaste. Well, what do you Prenatal think? Prenatal cigs, brought by Steve. Yes, it's a healthier cigarette for your baby. They're filtered.
0: <laughs> you want your baby to look cool, don't you?
1: <laughs> yes, you want, ladies, don't you want your baby to look cool? <laughs> I love this accent. I could talk in this accent all day, Mmm, indeed. <laughs>
2: Sunglasses
1: and some prenatal cigarettes. <laughs> um, so last week we had a we had a botched um, we had a botched podcast because the recording didn't work, which was unfortunate. Yeah. But one of the things I one of the things I found was this sounds for the supermarket, and oh yeah, it is the quintessential supermarket music. It's delightful. It's jazzy. I'm gonna have to play a little bit of it, and it, I was like playing it because there was an intermission. Like let's say Lee has to has to drain his bowels. It's just, we'll be right back. Sounds for the supermarket. 1975 is the title, and they're and it's like oh I, I need lemons I need lemons. What am I making tonight? Is it sauce? Okay, tomatoes, and maybe I should have some spinach for the kids. They're growing up. Little Timmy and Susie. Into, uh, right, so <laughs> so, I'm reading the description of this delightful jazzy tune. And it says, um, if you're looking for that classic supermarket jingle, then look no further. This is the YouTube description. Sounds for the Supermarket was the title of a tape cassette produced by a Minnesota-based communications company in 1975. It was available by mail purchase to supermarket vendors in the U.S. and Canada. Sounds sounds innocuous. The music contains inaudible subliminal recordings that were intended to increase buyer purchasing at grocery stores. That's a a little strange. Inaudible subliminal recordings. Customers were influenced to purchase more products as a result of the brainwave patterns hidden in the musical notes and sound compositions. (laughs) Different subliminal tapes were also sold for the purposes of advertising and social programming all contain the title Sounds for the dot dot dot. So if you listen closely, you can hear a satanic prayer in the background. <laughs> exactly. Yes, we we've we've dubbed over two decibels of screaming children <laughs> to encourage <laughs> your purchasing of more cigarettes. <laughs> uh, and condoms, more condoms. It's like um it's like produced by Philip Morris, a division of the CIA.
0: <laughs>
1: well, what other what other videos did they have? It's like You know, I'm listening to this elevator music, but I really want to do some cocaine. <laughs> cocaine. I mean, what else? It's 1975. What was going on in 75? It was probably, yeah, probably cocaine. Actually. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Five years to the 80s. Five years to the 80s. Um, yeah, this guy I used to listen to, Adam Carolla. Well, he's famous, but I used to listen to his podcast, and he talked about how the best time for getting laid was pre-AIDS, mid-Coke, as he describes it. Yeah. That, that 1977, like June of 77 to like December of 82. <laughs> Shit was good. Yeah,
2: just uh, there were no regulations on
1: anything and everyone was just fucking going crazy. Dude, just fucking raw dog. And there was no such thing as AIDS. It was just gay people dying, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Dude, it was, call- it was called Grids, the gay related something.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. I watched um, that movie with Matthew McConaughey, Dallas Buyers Club, about the AIDS epidemic. What an amazing movie. And his performance was ridiculous in that movie. He lost, like, he must, he must have weighed 120 pounds. It was absurd. And it was amazing. Dallas
1: I heard, Buyers Club. Yeah, that won a ton of awards. I never saw it. But I heard such great things.
2: Uh, highly recommend it. Highly recommend it.
1: I probably will. You know, I might watch that this weekend because I'm, I love McConaughey you know oh this is this is his, his best
2: performance, I think it's his most serious role, and he just completely destroys it like did, I think if he win the Academy Award for acting for that, he might have
1: um i i i am almost positive Jared Leto won for supporting, and I don't know if he won yeah, Jared Leto was like uh cross there um yeah, he was great in it also it was just a great movie um yeah i I like I said I love McConaughey. He went through like an eight year fucking awful movie phase, but um, yeah, Rotten Tomatoes ninety four percent for yeah, Dallas I agree with that. Dallas Boyer's Club. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, it won a lot of awards, but yeah, yeah, he he won best actor, and then it also yeah, it. Uh, best supporting actor, best best makeup and hairstyling, uh, best. Um, uh, Golden Globe he won Jared Leto won a Golden Globe Matthew McConaughey won a SAG Award like they fucking clean
2: and the story itself is un- it's unreal just I don't even want to tell you because it's, it's just awesome
1: um, did you ever see the TV show that McConaughey was in um, what, uh, is what it? was it called? True, true Detective
2: um, no I heard of it though
1: it was really good. It, I think it was on h b o so I definitely pirated it illegally. apologies h b o um, but it was it's Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are detectives in Louisiana, and it's magnificent. They're chasing this really mysterious um, serial killer with these weird um, tendencies and McConaughey has long scraggly hair and a and a beard well it's so weird it's before and after scenes like while they're searching for the crime and then afterwards and like his demeanor is totally different in the, whether, whether it's before or afterwards his hair is completely different he's like a he's like a, a drunk at the end uh, but it's so cool they keep cutting back and forth but he's fantastic in it not describing it as well as yeah. it is yeah
2: great
1: great actor so you're saying Dallas Buyers Club is the best McConaughey performance uh.
2: I mean, yeah, he just—he's just totally in the character, like, right, like um, Christian Bale and the machinist,
1: like that kind of thing. Like, he is in it, right, one hundred percent. Yeah. Now, I—I I think that I think I read an article on The Ringer about how there might be a difference between a person's best performance and their peak performance. Like, was it peak McConaughey? Because peak Ma- McConaughey could have been. Um, you know that scene he had in uh Dazed and Confused where he asked if he got a joint. <laughs> I like, <or> <laughs> feel like that's yeah. peak. It's like McConaughey being Con- McConaughey, you know it's peak McConaughey.
2: Yeah, that like is him. It is who he is, playing himself.
1: <laughs> it's um it's <laughs> it's like his head might explode. It's so much McConaughey. <laughs> Um, but
2: uh, yeah, I think that, that might be his best. Uh, like, his whole career led up to him doing that role, maybe.
1: Yeah, he really did a bunch of fucking awful movies there. Um, so, the Ringer article I'm thinking about, it's called, it's entitled The Seven Versions of Will Smith, which is really funny. <laughs> it says, From Cool Will to Broken Will to Oscar Will. Which one is the best? And it's a really, really great article. If you don't read The Ringer, I highly recommend it.
2: Okay, yeah, I've never, I've never read it
1: before. So the first, the first Will Smith is the perfectly measured cool Will Smith? <laughs> is
2: that like Fresh Prince Smith? Or is um, that like post-Fresh Prince? Let
1: me read it. It goes, the very best example... Like bad boys. Let me see. Yes. Yes. It says the very best example though is his detective Mike Lowry from the bad boys franchise as Lowry okay, there
0: you go.
1: Smith takes his innate wholesome charm. He's so good at cultivating and adds just enough of edge so that it doesn't sound weird when he cusses, but not so much edge that it becomes intimidating or overwhelming. <laughs> it says it remains one of his great feats of his career pulling off that trick. So that's it's Yeah. Uh, it says creating a brand of cool that's accessible but also enviable is very very hard to do. I thought that was cool analysis. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> it's like you you want
2: to be around him, but you also want to be him. Will I'm Will. You're Will. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. He's he's yeah. universally loved. Like I, it's almost the Rock-esque, except the Rock physically is superhuman, so he's kind yeah, of on, true. it's like a it's like a person a. a an alien from another planet came down and like taught everyone how to be awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that is very true.
1: He's like some And also, and also to make people feel like they would be welcomed in his circle, you know. Yeah,
0: the
2: nice
1: guy. He seems very accessible.
2: Yeah, I saw that movie with him and Kevin Hart. That was pretty funny.
1: Um, oh, I didn't see that. I love both those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It
2: was a, uh, it was just like them playing off each other. But The Rock plays a great role. Like it, it was a good movie. I didn't expect it to be that good.
1: Kevin Hart did the best. My favorite comedians in Cars getting coffee. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I've
2: seen clips of it. I've never seen the whole episode though.
1: They have the full episode of Barack Obama online on YouTube. Oh, nice. Highly recommend. It is amazing. Yeah. Um, Obama you know, between
2: two ferns with Zach Galifianakis.
1: I honestly I didn't watch that one because I'm not a two ferns guy. It's too it's too fucking awkward for me.
2: Yeah, I know what you mean. He <laughs>
1: brought
2: Justin Bieber on and just like vo- verbally
1: berated him the that. time. <laughs> okay, maybe I need to see that.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty funny one. Like, how do you continue to be so bad? Mhm. There's just awkward silence. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I th- honestly think Curb Your Enthusiasm like ruined me for awkwardness.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Cuz there like at first it was it was really funny and then by season 4 or 5 it was like Larry David was fucking with us. Have you ever seen that?
2: Um I I don't remember the chronological order of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um yeah.
1: But you've seen it. But he
2: he just, he was just like, "Yeah, I can do whatever I want at
1: this point." Oh, <sighs> he really went out of his way. To, um, to like make me personally feel uncomfortable. <laughs> like, it was weird. It was like deep. Well, that's the definition of true art. It was like personal. Yeah, I, you're right. He was a fucking genius. But the thing is, like, there are some people who love that, who like want that. And I wanted that because I like a variety of comedy, but holy shit, he really, I, you know, it was like I had a heroin overdose and had to go to the, the emergency room. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, Curb was basically Seinfeld's like season two, like
1: the whole of Seinfeld was season one, and then Curb your enthusiasm was season season two of Larry David's like madness. Yeah, it's um, a lot of people used to say that George Costanza was Larry David. That was his character. Um, Actually, (laughs) right. Well, Larry David was supposed to play. George! (laughs) I need these calzones. Um, he, um, uh, Larry David was supposed to play George Costanza, but Larry David oh, ultimate. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That was going to be his thing. That was, he, he, he was going to write it and create it and play that role, but they decided against it because he, Larry David was adamant that George shouldn't be taller than Jerry and it yeah. was like this weird. He had this like geometry. Like he wanted, he wanted shapes for the different characters. And yeah, when you, yeah, like when you look at them interact, like they, are, it's a they, they, they were casted perfectly. Not just for their comedic chops and how they, their dynamic, but like physically how they look and their role. Especially uh, Kramer. Yeah, well, yeah, Kramer. I mean, what a fucking weirdo. Yeah, did, what was his name? Michael Richards. Is that his name? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. There's an old movie starring Weird Al Yankovic called UHF. I don't know if you have ever seen that movie. Oh, I've but seen it. I think it might have been
2: Michael Richards' first like major role, and he was this janitor who had, who was like, I guess borderline like mentally like really stupid. Um. And he just wants his mop and that was his whole thing. He loves being a janitor and in the end he ends up like saving the day by like, being a janitor. Um, so that was like one of his first roles just a huge weirdo and I guess Scientel was just the perfect spot for
1: him. I I have seen that movie. I completely forgot about that movie. That was yeah, a... uh HF. That was a high school classic. Yeah.
0: Good
1: well... status. <laughs> um... It may have gone something like this. <laughs> Let's get one thing
2: straight. Guns don't kill people. Oh. I do.
1: Channel 62 has the lowest ratings in the history of television. What they need is a new station. You stadium. are now paired. Oh, enjoy. enjoy. I was wondering why I was doing that. Guns don't kill people. I do. There we go. A man of... I'm going to have to edit that out because... Here, let's hear the trailer.
2: You let's you? one thing straight. Yeah. Guns don't kill
1: people. I do. <laughs> Channel 62 has the lowest ratings in the history of television. What they need is a new station manager. <laughs> no, not him. Forget it. No way. A man of action. Oh! He's doing like a fake Rambo. Yeah. doing a fake Indiana Jones. What's your name?
2: Billy. Billy what? what just get? Billy is just spit in weird Al's so face. He'll put anyone <laughs> on the air. Hey Stanley. Yeah George. How would you like your own? There TV, he is. Though? Okay.
1: Wow he went full retard. The fire hose. Here comes the fire hose. Yeah that was uh. <laughs> so to save the station he has to create a ridiculous game show. Conan the Librarian. Yeah, I remember all... This was a funny movie. Yeah, great movie. Underrated. (laughs) Oh my god, Town Talk with George. He's doing like a fake Maury Povich thing. Dude, this is (laughs) funny. This looks funny. Huh. Let's see what the... 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. I consider that a good score.
2: Yeah, for an under-budget movie like that,
1: definitely. Um, Eva hates... Critic scores in Rotten Tomatoes. She's very anti Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty funny. Well, has
2: the user scores
1: also? She doesn't care. She doesn't like user scores. She she has interesting weird taste in movies. But okay, so going back to this UHF thing. So she's saying that yeah. everyone's
0: opinion is garbage except for her
1: own. <laughs> um. No, it's. I think it's more like it's unreliable. Like there are some movies. Yeah. Like there. There's a bunch of movies that she loves that are in the eighties and nineties, and then there's like she has weird taste in movies like she likes movies that i think are awful and most people who watch a lot of movies think are awful but she doesn't pick apart movies like i do so like she doesn't give a shit if fucking if this line doesn't sound natural like she doesn't give a shit if like you know what i mean like (coughs) she likes yeah movies with my, my girlfriend doesn't really care about bad acting you
2: know what I mean? If the acting is bad, it doesn't really matter. But, like, I, it drives me crazy. I can't watch a movie where it looks like two people are just, like, you
1: know, regurgitating lives to each other. It's crazy. Yeah, that's that's the one thing, Eva, like, I've noticed that when it's a bad movie, when I think it's a bad movie, it usually has really good actors in it. Um, yeah. So she likes good acting, and she just wants some entertainment. She just... And, like, I understand. My favorite action movie is Bad Boys too. You know what I mean? Like, I like... I, I like simple things but yeah I'm I'm. I'm Blue Streak also
2: it's just my
1: lines that's a great movie <laughs> Blue Streak I i gotta watch that good recommend uh,
2: that's good. it's just another cop movie but it's just my lines
1: dying in it mm-hmm. so I like those movies but like I really like the other kind of movies like there's a movie called Love Liza um, it's this little independent film starring Philip Seymour Hoffman and it was oh, made yeah it was made funny. maybe 10 years ago yeah, and the movie starts with Philip Seymour Hoffman's wife has just killed herself and he's just wrapping up the, the funeral stuff and and he's like packaging up her, her things and like half the movie is, the whole movie is just like an incredibly depressed, really quiet and fragile Philip Seymour Hoffman being taken care of and watched over by his family and his couple of friends and he starts huffing gasoline. Yeah, exactly. Um, he starts huffing gasoline to like deal with the depression, which was weird. Um, there was like some overt symbolism with that, but for half the movie Philip Seymour Hoffman barely said five lines as I remember, but it was so powerful. Yeah. He was amazing in it and he barely talked for like the first 60 minutes um, but I, I'm pretty sure like Eva would fucking hate that movie. <laughs> like, cause nothing happens like literally nothing happens. It's all nuance. Yeah. And to her, that's not entertaining. Um, but uh-huh. that, but because she doesn't, cause I'm obsessed with like the camera angles and things that are in focus or out of focus and the little, the subtle little glance that he gives and that pause, like it feels like he's, he's holding back something and, those things fucking get me so hard, metaphorically. Yeah, just your depth
2: of guilt, like the depth of your view into it. Mm. Um,
1: yeah,
2: I think there's a, there's a lot of, uh, oh, definitely a lot of nuance in how people look for their entertainment like that, kind of like an active versus a passive kind of take on what you're doing. Um, and like how deep you can go into any one thing or you can just stay on the surface and just buyer no that's a nice looking painting where you can really like go into depth and say well what was the artist thinking about when he created that or like how long ago like what time frame was this made in what year and all that kind of stuff I, I find that interesting the history of when things were created because that kind of gives you an idea of the environment in which they came out
1: yeah um, I, I don't know if this relates to what you were talking about but I, I you know, some movies hold up really well after 40 years and some hold up awful after 10 years.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's what I mean. With like when things were produced and all that kind of
1: stuff. Mm hmm. So like the movie traffic, I've never seen it, but like it won, it almost, I think it almost swept or it swept the Academy Awards when it came out. And yeah, it's like universally considered not good anymore. Like it's, the the races the the way they handled racial issues was so like ham-handed and like the way they painted certain characters were like so, the characters were very flat and nobody gave a shit and it was just like, look at race! (laughs) It was a really, but at the time people were like, oh my God, it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah,
2: people views it's changed. I actually watched Fight Club again recently and I feel like it wasn't as great as I remember it being. I probably saw it like Probably in college, so I mean, you know, yep. seven, eight years ago. Um, and I just feel like it just wasn't as, wasn't as crazy as I remember it being. Or maybe it's just because I was younger and hadn't seen as much stuff as I've seen now, which could also play a role in everything, you
1: know? Well, that reminds me of, like, the first time I saw Vanilla Sky. As soon as it was over, I rewinded that VHS and I started it right over again. Yeah. I just went back, back to back. I was like, I need to watch that again. That
2: four-minute rewind is killer.
1: Ugh, I was being kind and re- ah. re-in-wind. but um, yeah, I, I was I was like thirteen, maybe twelve or somewhere around there, and I remember watching that in my basement on the TV in on like in the afternoons. So it was probably a weekend, and I remember reaching the end and being like, i never I'd never had that feeling before," and I don't know if I've had it since. Where it was like, "I need to watch that from the first fucking frame again." <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Now, in hindsight, like Fight Club, I'm almost positive that it's not as good as it was, um, as I thought it was. I, the, the, I, t- I say this a lot to Eva and to other people. I'm like, a 13-year-old AJ loved that movie. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. Because she'll be like, do you like that movie? I'm gonna be like, a 13-year-old me thought it was the fucking, like American Beauty, which people think sucks.
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember that
1: movie. Like I thought that that movie fucking changed my life. I'm like, oh my god, we are like fucking plastic bags. Uh, <laughs> the wind, the wind. But um, it makes me think about it makes me think about books also. I know that people don't really read
2: books as much anymore, but um, I remember one book that changed my life, and I was probably yeah, probably like 13, maybe. I
1: had to read it for school it was Ender's Game. You ever heard of that book by like Orson Scott Card? Of course, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like a
2: sci-fi book about like a coming-of-age tale for like this kid who like went into the, the you know space army. It was just like really well written, and, and the ending just blew my freaking thirteen-year-old mind. And I I did what you said. I went back like three pages and just read the ending again. And like I've never done that in any other book. And like I read all the Harry Potters and all that kind of stuff, but that moment of finding out what the ending was just completely blew my mind. Um, that was a cool moment. I don't want to tell you what the ending was in case you want to read
1: it. But... I will never read it, but I'm gonna watch the movie because Eva owns it for some reason.
2: Oh, I heard the movie sucked.
1: But... See, I, <laughs> this is what I'm see. This is what I'm talking about, dude. This is exactly what she owns that movie. Yeah. So it's like, what the what? What's going on? Cause she's so fucking smart and she's so funny and like, okay, sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes for Ender's Game. That could be a really good movie. I'm not gonna. Judge it. Um, yeah. Fight Club, Rotten Tomato. Okay. Do you want to guess what Fight Club was on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh. You could give me the audience I, score and the tomato meter if you want. It's a fun game. Oh,
2: is there, okay, there's a difference. Oh man. I, I honestly, I can't even begin to think what it might be. <laughs> it's changed over the years. I don't know
1: if these are, the original rating. Right. So Great I mean, point. I'm gonna,
2: give you, I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna give you an eighty-two percent.
1: Uh, and a 73%. Which one's which? Um, 82 is the... 82 is the critic. No,
2: 82 is the, is the audience, and 72
1: is the critic. Okay. But that's such a great point with, like, whether the review was made the day after it came out. Oh, my fucking God! Or, like, yeah. 15 years later, where they're like, dude... Trump is motherfucking president. Like, you cannot scare me. <laughs> you can't scare me anymore. Yeah,
2: Theocracy is now at a 98%.
1: I wonder which one came out fight first, Fight Club or The Sixth Sense, because they both have twist endings that relate to either psychological disorders or supernatural phenomena, you know?
2: Uh-huh. Um, the any- Sixth Sense was great when I came out. I remember seeing that theater
1: with my team. Yeah, that was like a fucking jizz my pants <laughs> I, like, I didn't know adventure Yeah, like, I didn't know movies could be like that kind of thing
0: Yeah,
2: definitely
1: Like, I thought twists were done or that twists were limited to, like, a heist movie or something
2: Yeah, it's just like Oh, it's you who stole the gold?
1: Yeah Mm-hmm Um
2: But yeah, Sixth Sense was badass When he drops that ring at the end you're
1: like, no! <laughs> yeah, badass That was good. good reenactment yeah. I felt like I was watching it again Yeah what was it like? Yep. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, wow, wow. I'm chills, chillsy. Yep. Um, am wow. I on the phone with Sidney Poitier? cuz what a great actor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sydney. <Poitier. laughs> um, the other movie that changed that I thought was like this is di- I never thought movies could be like this. Was the Blair Witch Project? Um, I actually snuck into the Blair Witch Project in the theater. Uh, <laughs> stayed for the first like half an hour and uh and I was with a group of people and, like, nobody was really into it, so we all left. That might be a movie where, like, there's a weird synergy that goes on if, like, the audience is into it or if the audience isn't. Yeah. And and that happens with a lot of horror movies. Like, if you watch a horror movie with me, I might ruin it. If I talk, I'm going to ruin it because I'm going to be making fun of shit. And, you know? Yeah. But that movie, we were in a packed theater... And we saw it on opening night, so it wasn't like there was no press about it. It wasn't like right. the internet. Yeah. And so we watch it, and we're like, we were like, did that really happen? Like that didn't happen. Like these are actors, right? Right? These are these are actors. Like it was like a weird yeah, like. Nobody really knew. Yeah. We were like we were like they're actors. They're actors, right? Like. It was like I was transformed back to being five and a half years old and somebody's telling me that if I eat broccoli, I'll grow a sixth finger. You're like, that's not true. But is it? Is it true? Like, tell me it's not true. Yeah. Tell me it's not true. <laughs> and then, like, three weeks later, it came out. That they were clearly actors. Like, clearly they're in Hollywood and they have friends and, like, work at Starbucks. <laughs> Yeah, I remember nobody really knew. It. That was before the internet really took hold, which is a crazy time to think about. Which is basically all of human history except for the past 20 years. But yeah. <laughs> no, it's a it's a life-changing technology. Right, that movie would not be possible or it wouldn't it wouldn't have been the same the reaction. People didn't know for a few weeks, yeah. There's a movie called Cannibal Holocaust which me and and Harley and some other other college guys. Like, yeah. Um, it's a homemade movie, um, that me and Harley made. And, uh, no, it's, <laughs> it was, it's a fake documentary, um, horror movie similar to Blair witch. And it was made, I think okay. in the in the nineties or late eighties or maybe the, who knows seventies. But the, the, the plot of cannibal Holocaust is okay. We're, we're a film crew, a documentary film crew. And there were these journalists that went to this Island, um, that that had reports of cannibalism and these journalists disappeared on this island. So we're going to go out with a film crew and we're going to find out what happened. And they go to this island in the South Pacific and they eventually discover that this film crew got caught in the middle of a tribal war between the cannibals and the non-cannibals or two groups of cannibals. But like there were brutal, violent-looking scenes of... of (coughs) journalists being impaled from head to toe with giant sticks and people eating flesh like hidden camera stuff <coughs> people eating flesh and it was like scary and and the the filmmakers also paid the actors who died in the movie to go into hiding for a year <laughs> oh shit
0: that's
1: crazy yeah it's these Italian actors they paid them to fucking leave Italy and um, <laughs> And again, before the internet, so, like, the, these people are, like, these, these families are, like, I haven't seen my fucking daughter in six months. So there was eventually yeah. a, a murder trial for the filmmakers. They were put on trial for murder, and, like, these these actors had to, like, come back and be, like, no, we're not, we're not dead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's unbelievable. Well, I guess not really unbelievable, but just
1: awesome. It's really awesome. I think it's fucking phenomenal. All right, so. Yeah. Back to your question, you said that Fight Club was an audience. You said you said the critics had it lower than the audience. I think you said the critics had it like around sixty. Uh,
2: I said the critics uh, seventy two and the, the audience eighty two. I think something
1: like that. Okay, well you're you're off by about ten points on both. You're you're too modest on this movie. People liked it. They these are probably reviews from right when it came out. So seventy nine percent for the critics. And
2: okay, so I said seventy-two.
1: Okay. And the audience ninety-six percent. Oh wow! But you know what that is, dude? Rotten Tomatoes became popular in probably two thousand nine to two thousand eleven, sometime in there. Most people like us watched. Yeah, most people like us watched Fight Club fucking ten years before before telling Rotten Tomatoes whether they liked it or not. (laughs) Yeah, very true. But it's so hard to tell cuz like how much of that is I grew up and I was 16 years old and how much of that is it was it was 1998 you know and now it's 2017 so like how much of it is the times have changed and the technology's changed and we've heard more stories as a society or is it like my dumb little fucking 16-year-old brain was just impressionable
2: Yeah or well, a little bit
1: of both Probably a little bit of both cuz I, I you look at I'm I'm sure we would find critics like like I said, for traffic, critics changed their opinion on that because society kinda changed. Yeah. So what do you think the Especially
2: six Especially in the last like ten years society has changed so much.
1: Yeah that's right. Um racism has been eliminated. We had a black president.
2: <laughs>
1: yep. So and now we have well here's here's progress. <laughs> Here's progress, Lee. We we had a black president. Now we have a, a black Secretary of HUD, and we have bomb threats at Jewish centers around the country. <laughs> so, sounds pretty good. Progress. Yes, it's 1980. Once again, we'll get to that later. But I want to ask you, um, <laughs> what do you think the si- What what Rotten Tomato score do you think the Sixth cents got? Uh, I'm
2: gonna say ninety-four
1: for the critics.
2: Um, I'm going to say they're both going to be in
1: the low 90s. It's a pretty good guess. I think if, you ha- if you're within 10, 10 points, it's good. <clears throat> they got an 85 from the critics and an 89 from the audience. Okay. Yep. Okay, now American Beauty. What do you think?
2: I, I think, just, just to the side, I think it's funny where you'll go through the reviews and there'll be some like, one-star
1: reviews. Yeah.
2: And it'll just be like one crock of shit. This movie was like the, the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. With the dumbest poop and the shittiest stuff and junk, and it's like one star. i was like, what? Like, you did not enjoy like one percent of this movie. Like, come
1: on. It stinks. That's how I love. Yeah. Yeah. Like it stinks. It stinks. <laughs> people watch. People watch Transformers. Like it's so. This sucks. It's like, are you kidding? This is. Un- if somebody in the 30s saw this, they would fucking get a gun and shoot themselves in the face. Like, this is crazy. Yeah, pretty much. We're spoiled, Lee. Yeah, so... No, shut, up, shut up. So, American Beauty, also good. 88% on American Beauty for the critics. Audience was even higher. I think we've grown since then. People are like... They look back and they're like, no. Um, no, it's Kevin Spacey trying to fuck a 16-year-old. Let's not... Let's not... parse words here.
0: Yes, that's very
1: true. And the metaphor is fucking sitting on a bed of roses. No, that's not what dudes think about when they want to get blown (laughs) by a Um, 16-year-old. speaking
2: of movie titles with the word American in them, I saw this movie called American Honey uh, that was on uh, maybe Netflix or something like that, starring Shia LaBeouf from Transformers. Nice. Um, And it's basically a coming-of-age tale about this, like, 16-year-old girl who just, like, leaves her, her crappy family uh, to go selling magazines, like, across the country, and they're just, like, a bunch of, like, like hooligans, like, you know what I mean, causing kind of trouble and selling magazines, like, working for, like, this girl, and it was two hours and 40 minutes, <laughs> and pretty much nothing happened the whole time, and at the end, I couldn't believe that I spent two hours and 40 minutes watching this movie. I, I just couldn't believe it. And until you, uh, it's like it's like it changed my life because until you sit through that movie for two hours and forty minutes and then look back on what just happened, you just it just changes you as a person. I think hmm. so it was just a weird experience. Yeah.
1: So are you happy That's that you had that experience? That. <laughs> Were you happy you had the experience, or I'm confused?
2: Uh, I it's just totally neutral. I just I can't even describe it. Totally neutral.
1: Got you. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, you can read the description of it on, uh, on uh, IMDb or on Tomatoes or whatever. It's very strange.
1: Hey, have you ever heard of... What's um, up? Uh, so just Shia
2: LaBeouf being Shia LaBeouf.
1: Just Shia being Shia. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: have you ever heard of Normcore fashion? Yes. I re- people
2: dress up like uh like in the fifties or something.
1: No, no normcore. Mm, I've heard people online people wrote that the best way to describe normcore is like looking at the cast of Seinfeld. <laughs> um, so <laughs> normcore. Like early nineties. It's like it's aggressively normal clothing. <laughs> okay. So the the idea is is that people want people who. Aspire to dress normcore they They want to wear the most indistinguishable clothing possible so that you don't draw conclusions As to who they are or what kind of person they are they they don't want their clothes to speak for them So they end up picking the most fucking boring Dad looking clothes ever it's real dad look dad fashion I just looked up Normcore on Google. It says, Normcore is a unisex fashion trend characterized by unpretentious normal looking clothing. <laughs> Sounds pretty normal. <laughs> it's the most fucking extreme normal. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does look
2: like, they do look like the cast of Seinfeld, just early
1: 90s. Yeah. It's like
2: Tommy Hilfiger shirts.
1: I feel like it's what Obama wears in his personal time. Yeah, like the dad jeans. We are we are very normal. This is what we wear, and it's comfortable. These are Adidas, no New Balance. <laughs> I have my Adidas. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... So the first I heard of it was somebody was talking about the retirement of Tim Duncan, the basketball player, and they showed a picture yeah. of they should they talk about how like the NBA. Nowadays really defines fashion. A lot of these basketball players are on the cutting edge of fashion. And they're great to look at. And, and these guys are, are really doing cool things with how they dress. <laughs> it was a whole article about how Tim Duncan does things different. And they showed a picture of him leaving the locker room or going into the locker room. And he, he looks like he's like a freshman in college. Like He had like a loose plaid button down that was unbuttoned. <laughs> and he had like really loose like you know cargo pants that aren't khakis but they have this gross fucking mud brown co- this weird brown color and you're yeah, like yeah. they look like they smell <laughs> and so he's got cargo pants on and yeah like New Balance shoes and he's got a, a fucking Jansport slung over one shoulder <laughs> <laughs> like a textbook in you know? a yeah my man's rocking a trapper keeper <laughs> real fucking hipster but yeah like it's
2: mo- molecular physics textbook
1: yeah <laughs> and so yeah in the <laughs> caption <laughs> in the caption it said like tim duncan is like the definition of normcore and <laughs> it's, it's like funny Ronald smith
2: would have shot him in men in black in that training simulation
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. He would have met <laughs> in black trainings. <laughs> What's Tim Duncan doing with this? Dude, where <laughs> the fuck... <laughs> where the fuck did you come up with that?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Seriously. I'm, uh, I'm finally to down and can again. Where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> um, but yeah, knowing and like when you... if. You like sports, like knowing about Tim Duncan gives you great insight into Normcore because he is very focused and like he's it, he's um, painstakingly, you know, normal. Yeah. Right down to the way he dribbles and shoots. Kind of puts you to sleep. <laughs> just
2: yawning all the whole time. It, I feel like it's tough to maintain a fashion. I mean, I just have all the clothes I've accumulated and also not lost from the past ten years that still fit me. You know what I mean? That's all I have.
1: Right. Um, there's a great book I read from the sixties called the presentation of self in everyday life. And they, yeah, it's a sociology book and he uses some interesting analogies or some extended metaphors to talk about how people interact and how people talk. But he also talks about their fashion and, you know, it's pretty intrinsic, but like, in something like normcore you're trying to present you're you're trying to not send a message but the thing is it's impossible not to send a message like you're inevitably people right. are going to make a narrative about you regardless of what you wear it's true so but but that's you're you're so in, in normcore you're sending a message of like i really don't give like a you're shit you're
2: burning the message you're trying to burn the message
1: them. Yeah, they're like, I truly don't give a... F- zero fucks given is the message. Yeah, yep. like, like, if you take somebody dressed normcore and then you take somebody wearing a black shirt that says zero fucks given, like the normcore person gives even less fucks than the zero fucks given person. Yeah, I mean, I, I would classify
2: my fashion sense as like sleepcore. Like right now I'm wearing uh, moccasins. Pajama pants and an undershirt. Oh God! It's like sleepcore, you know. Sleepcore. Like ready to go to sleep at any moment.
1: You're ready. You're always ready for sleep.
2: Always ready for sleep. You got to be prepared for these things. Thirty your life.
1: Right. See. So one of the th- it's one of the things they talk about with normcore. If you look at the Wikipedia, is they there's a preference for unlogoed clothing, and that's like my whole thing. I don't wear logos. But yeah. <laughs> but I definitely don't dress normcore like my my jeans are skinny like they're much skinnier than and tighter than my than Eva's. Um, Eva wears fucking normcore jeans. She wears baggy. It's Dawson's Creek 1998 all over again. It's great. <laughs> I don't
2: want to wait. My friend Rachel, my friend Rachel, I uh, Rachel Rovner over. that she met the one time. She was actually in an episode of Dawson's Creek as an extra.
1: I met Rachel Rovner many times, my friend.
2: Yeah, yeah. Actually, I um, uh, just had a surprise birthday party thrown on me
1: uh, last month, and uh, she actually flew out
2: from L.A. to
1: come see me. That you know, was pretty cool. That is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Dawson's Creek, Trapper Keeper. I don't want to wait for our love to be over. Um, so I recently learned about this subculture and fashion style in Sweden which is based on like this 50s greaser's aesthetic. It's called Regade, Regare. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and these guys like they they're obsessed with like old cars from the 50s and if you go on Wikipedia and you look at this like you see pictures of these people they go to like rallies which are just they're in a in a field drinking beer. And it's like college. I suppose, but they look... Yeah, they look like it's Grease. Go, Grease. It's all like uh, yeah. fucking leather jackets and rolling the cigarettes up their sleeves. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah, because you gotta dress like
2: somebody these days. But I think it's, it's gonna be crazy in like 200 years Are people still gonna be celebrating all
1: this like weird stuff that we've been doing now. I don't know. <laughs> Joe Rogan talked about if he could go back in time to any area, he would love to go back to ancient Egypt because
0: yeah.
1: like this was one of the first times in history that we had like a true abundance of resources and we produced a lot. There was a, there was a brewery in ancient Egypt that made as much as the equivalent of like a 50,000 barrel brewery today, like bigger than your local brewery, yeah. Um, so they were big, they were able to create like a surplus of resources and and they had this opulence and what came out of it was so fucking bizarre, like gold dresses and eyeliner, like thick, dark eyeliner on men and mascara and like putting gold paste on yourself, like all these like weird rituals to like make yourself you know dolled up it's it's just another form of what we do today but it's so interesting to be like oh that's where you went with that
2: <laughs> yeah and slaves as far as the eye can see
1: that's right wall-to-wall slaves
2: yeah more, more slaves please yeah it, there's always been a crazy populace that's just been enslaved just for all of history it's
1: insane and it just like switches hands who gets enslaved next yeah, I suppose. Well, all of us is the answer. Yeah, um, pretty much.
2: Yeah. Well, we
0: talked.
1: We talked about this last week about how we. I used to believe that that the the United States government and the U.S. history and really world history. I always believed that it was this ever advancing um, society and system where we we get rid of kings and we get rid of the wealth and like I, especially. I mean. I thought that the middle ages, the, like the Renaissance and and the industrial revolution, like I thought that these things changed from going from Kings and serfs to the American dream where we have equal, more equal opportunity. And that's how most people think, but I've recently learned and people have been informing me that no, it's not like that. It's like, we've always been super rich and enslavement and we've just come up with different ways you know, we've we have gained more human rights, obviously, and life has gotten so much easier. But yeah. there's still, uh, you know, a collection of resources that are hold, held by very few people. And it was only like post World War II, like the six, the forty years after World War II, that we had super socialist and progressive policies that ensured, you know, wages and ensured infrastructure growth and. Got some money to the middle class. It's the only time we've had a growing middle class, like in our in in our thousands of years history, and we're about yeah. to undo uh-huh. that. We're about to undo we're it. Back on that. What's that? I
2: said we're walking back on that right
1: now. Yeah. So Jeff Sessions is our new attorney general.
2: Uh, <laughs> Jeff! I love the Russian
1: Sessions. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. So.
2: About that, that just came out. That yeah, um, he said under oath that he never contacted uh, the Russians, and he actually did, and now it's all coming out as perjury.
1: Right, right. Yeah, he completely lied. They clearly met twice, and the the it was maybe the Washington Post. Whatever news story broke, it did a great job of journal, great bit of journalism, where they said, "Listen, there are thirty six members on the House, um, whatever, what what committee is it? The Defense Committee or whatever." There's like 36 yeah. members on the, on the defense committee. Um, of those 36, we asked all 35 of them, besides Jeff Sessions, if they had ever contact with Russians, and only 19 got back to them thus far, but all 19 were like, we've, including John McCain, was like, we've never, we would never talk to a Russian fucking ambassador. That's the weirdest, most bizarre thing ever. Like, no, never. Yeah. So it clearly doesn't happen. He clearly lied about it. I asked Eva this morning, I said, do you know, like whether sessions can get away with it? If he just says, oh, I don't, I didn't remember. I'm sorry. I just legit didn't cause right. Cause, and I'm like, how do you prove that somebody lied versus somebody just forgot? And she was like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a trial lawyer. And I told her then it's useless. Yeah. i like, why am I dating a lawyer? I was, like, I was like, you're supposed to know these things. What does she do? What does she do? <laughs> well, Ben Carson is her new boss. She works at Housing and Urban Development. Oh, man. Nice. Yeah, so she does a lot of regulatory stuff, and and the when she describes her job, it's the most boring things you'll ever hear, but it's <laughs> it's amazingly important work, and she she provides those who need help with, you know, the proper resources to, like, Make their lives better. It's really awesome.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: But yeah, she's a lawyer, and <clears throat> I told her like, what's the fucking point? I was like, you're supposed to know these things. <laughs> like, why don't you know everything? She was like, I don't know everything about the law. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> so. A
2: lot of laws going on.
1: Yeah, so Jefferson Beauregard session. So I'm I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure anybody who's named Jefferson and, like, is from Alabama. I'm pretty sure you were named uh, after yeah. Jefferson Davis, right? Wasn't he, like, the, the Confederate president? Uh,
2: yeah.
1: And then Beauregard. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Sessions,
2: Jeff Sessions um, wasn't he denied from uh, becoming a
1: judge in, like, the 80s because he was too racist or something like that? He sure was. He was denied um, a, a seat. I mean, he sure was. Yeah. He was denied a seat as a federal... Um, judge in Alabama because there was this guy who worked for him for many years, who Jeff Sessions repeatedly called boy. And Jeff Sessions said to this person, um, the organizations like the NAACP are un-American. And he actively went out of his way to prosecute um, these civil rights organizers who were trying to help old ladies register to vote, he like would not stop prosecuting them for voter fraud because, because these community organizers were trying to help old ladies fill out their ballots. Old ladies, by the way, who were who were reluctant to fill out ballots because 20 years previous to that they had been hosed and and bitten by German shepherds because they tried to vote. Like so these people are afraid to vote. And like these community organizers convince them to do the right thing and participate in democracy as their right is. And they get they get persecuted and prosecuted by Jeff Sessions. Like
2: that's like never ending, yeah.
1: So it's not just his words, it's his behavior. And then like Coretta Scott King, um Martin Luther King's wife, um she she gave this long speech about his his, not just his words but his actions on voter suppression um, because in a democracy apparently it's good to suppress votes. Um, and Coretta Scott King talked out against him and all those factors led to him not being selected for that position. So what racists do when they're discovered to be racist is that they keep that to themselves and to their family and to those who they can trust to be racist around. And around everybody else, they put on a happy face. So during this most recent confirmation hearings, Democrats wouldn't stop talking about how Jeff Sessions is a nice guy. I see him at the gym all the time. Like literally four people said that. So, yeah, we're literally more racist than we were 30 years ago. Because literally this guy couldn't become a judge 30 years ago. And now he's the number one attorney in the country. Oh God! And and you know his stance on marijuana. Oh yeah, not not too good. He says uh, there are every, no, there's no like good people who smoke marijuana or something to like that extent. Not just that, but like there's a number of bad things. But one of the things he said, he he's in a press conference and he's like, and you have you heard? That, can you believe this? There are people who say that marijuana use helps curb opiate addiction and it helps with opiate addiction. And he was like, can you believe that the, the, the lengths that these people are going through because to somebody like Jeff Sessions, prescription opioids and chemical addictions are fine because it, because the, the American um, medical association says it's fine. Oh, and the American Psychiatric association says it's fine. Like the, 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 the administration that's supposed to be against all this, um, the government and, and, you know, against conventional wisdom, like they shouldn't be trusting these corrupt organizations with their opinions on marijuana being a schedule one substance, which means it's highly addictive and also has no medical value. Like yeah, that's, they do that with acid too, which is fucking beyond me. But, um, yeah, actually I think marijuana is a schedule three substance, but acid's a schedule one, meaning it's highly addictive. It's not, and Yeah, definitely not. Right. And that it has no medical benefits, which is also very untrue.
2: Yeah. But I mean I've never I've never actually done acid, but I've done mushrooms, you know, plenty
1: times in the past and it's in the same field. Yeah, totally. Um I was just listening to a podcast on psychology and they were talking about the 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 neuroscience of enlightenment and the neuroscience of religious states and and how people describe meditation and enlightenment and religious states. And they were saying how like, that's also how you describe hallucinogenic drugs. And, um, it's unfortunate that like <laughs> drugs can be a shortcut to like years of meditation, but, um, it's kind of true. It kind of is <laughs> if you're doing it right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like you go through, uh,
2: in life, you go through a situation that changes you as a person, and, you know, over the course of a, a year, or, you know, a couple of years, and then, you know, you take and eat the mushrooms, and then eight hours later, you've gone through that, and that's pretty much it.
1: And, and what I noticed a lot when I took hallucinogenics, which most people do, is this overwhelming sense of unity, this uh-huh. dissolution between yourself and the things around you. You feel much more connected and yeah. the the hallucination the the percep- the perception and the experience of tripping gives you that information it gives you the feeling like you're you're unified with others or with the world, but there's so much phys- there's so much scientific evidence um you know scientific uh, mathematically speaking there's like there are atoms inside of you that were inside of Jesus and atoms inside of you that were inside of Hitler and atoms that were inside of of like billions of other, like almost every other thing that ever lived. (laughs) So like physically it's true. If you think about emotionally, when you talk to people, when you're close to people, you know, humans need to be connected. and, And if you look at evolutionary biology, when, when different groups come together, there's conflict and bottlenecking, but there's also this diversity that allows for massive growth.
0: Yeah.
1: And so unity is present, there's examples of it everywhere. And when you trip, that's like the fucking final straw where you feel it. And like, you're like, I'm literally seeing this and I'm, I'm laying in the grass and it feels like I'm sinking into the earth and the grass is growing out of my chest, you know?
2: Yeah. Oh okay. yeah.
1: And after you have that experience, it's like, I could never go back. I can never fucking unring that bell. I'll never look at the world the same way because I know that a, my, my sensory perception is subjective. Like, that can be changed. The information coming in is is dependent on the inner workings communicating a certain way. But two, like, we are all connected. And, like, there is there, – it's so cool. If you study ecology, if you study physics, if you study any science long enough, you find that unity. So it's, it's very powerful to take a drug and feel that. Yeah. But anyway, drugs are great, kids. Drugs Action. are great, kids. Um, uh, so, do you remember the head shop at Penn State in State College? I forget what it was called. J- Jamaica, uh, Jamaica, Jamaica Junction. Jamaica Junction or Dragon Chasers Emporium. Jamaica Junction. Yeah, I used so, to play shows there. That's right, I remember. So, so that the the old man that ran that place. Uh, Uncle Mike. Uncle. Mike. Dude, I have not, I've not thought of Jamaica Junction or Uncle Mike literally since I fucking left that what's place. Up, what's up, man? Um, yeah, come on in, man. You're welcome here, man. Yeah, he really sounded like um, was that Cheech Marin? Is that his name? Yeah, but even like more slurred out. Man. Or is that Tommy Chong? I always mix up those two. Um, That's Tommy Chong. Like this,
2: man. He's like this. yeah. Chong was
1: like the more. Uh, yeah, Chong. Uh, that one, yeah. Tommy Chong, man. What's up, man? Yeah. What job, man? So is that? I I think that's like a California accent. Um. Um. Maybe. But like it's mixed. It's mixed. Valley. It's mixed with heavy amounts of pot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Hey,
2: great movie, Cheech and Chong Up in Smoke. I watched it very recently, and it is hilarious.
1: Really. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Definitely recommend it.
1: I've seen a couple scenes from it. They were pretty funny scenes, so that makes sense.
2: Yeah, great movie.
1: So Uncle Mike was the guy who ran the head shop, and he had a great line about hallucinogenics, and he was like, and he was like, we, you have the most magnificent, mind-expanding, sacred, spiritual thing, and you're taking it on a Friday night with a six-pack. <laughs> I thought that was, like, the funniest... I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, we are just abusing this. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: I mean, we abuse everything, eventually. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I abused hallucinogenics. You know
1: what I mean? I feel like I
2: used them in the exact way that I needed to
1: mm-hmm. to get
2: to where I needed to be, you know?
1: I feel like I don't abuse them. I feel like they abuse me. <laughs> oh! Hey, little wordplay. Um, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, hallucinogenics are, there's no chemical, physical addiction. You know, if I take painkillers after dental surgery, it takes me fucking one day to either want more or need more to relieve the pain. You know, your tolerance goes up, but also yeah. you have withdrawal. And you don't, I don't think you really have withdrawal from hallucinogenics. No, you just
2: really feel good afterwards. You feel great feel fucking grand and fantastic afterwards.
1: You really do. You really fucking do, yeah. don't you?
2: Sometimes it lasts for months, you know what I mean? Because you remember the experience and just like all that, that, that knowledge that was activated. And you just feel that in you. And it just makes, it just relieves a lot of the stress, you
1: know? Dude, I remember the last, I remember vividly the last time I tripped 10 years ago. Or maybe 8 years ago at this point, 8 or 9. Yeah. Yeah, I I had a panic attack for about three straight hours while tripping balls. Yeah. Oh man, I was really tripping. Right when I hit my peak and everything was all fucked up, I thought I was having I thought I was having like a stroke or something weird. Like I like I couldn't feel my face and like my heart was going crazy and I felt weird. Was that in college? Yeah. I think you might
2: have come up to me. Yeah, you came up to me when I was happy. You're like, hey man, can you just like check on me and just make sure I'm not dead? Yeah. And I was like, Yeah man, no problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. D- yeah. I had Gordon and fucking Jared sitting sitting with me in my room, like, can you guys just make sure like I like if I pass out you might have to take me to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just three hours of writhing on, on the bed thinking about like this is it, like I'm 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 going to die. Like I'm going to die any minute now, like this, this experience will end and that'll be that. And I remember like not wanting that to happen. (laughs) Remember the distinct feeling of not wanting to die, but man, it was, it it was for legit three hours. I felt that persisting and it was just, it gave me a lot of time to think about like what was important to me and like why I wanted to keep living. (laughs) Like why, why do I have this feeling? But overall I understood like I have this ridiculous drive to continue existing like we all, like all healthy organisms do. But yeah, it was yeah, quite a trip.
2: Yeah. It changes you, man. Um, We
1: might've talked, oh, we might've talked last week about when we went to um, Penn's peak for the Umphreys McGee concert. Oh
2: yeah. My first walk.
1: And you have a great memory. You said that we walked in while in the kitchen was playing. So great memory.
2: Yep, yeah. Yeah. We came there a little bit late, and it, it's cool because Ulfries has all of their shows, at least the set list and stuff, online, um, so you can go back and see exactly what you saw because, I mean, it all blends together, you know, after a while. You don't really remember. But, um, yeah, I remember I looked at the set list, like, a, like, maybe a couple of years ago, and I just remember seeing In the Kitchen was, like, the second song, I mean, the first song or something like that, um, and that was just a, a great experience. And I, I took a, a half of a half of an eighth of mushrooms, that I split uh, with one of the, uh, our friends that was there, and I just remember seeing Humphreys, like, emblazoned with a neon blue outline, um, and they were all, like, more, like, uh, neutral colored, like gray almost, than just that blue outline around them. And, of course, I don't actually remember that. I do remember <laughs> the memory of that. Remembering that memory was uh, pretty much approximately what happened.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you remembered the memory.
2: <laughs> I remember the... It's a good memory of a memory. But it's a, a funny story, the last time I tripped was actually fairly recently, and it was pretty much by accident. Um, I was playing at a music festival called Groove in the Grove, which is in central PA around here. Um, and we were playing uh, the second night, so we were there the first night, um, like everybody was camping out and stuff. So um, one of my friends hands me something, he goes, hey man, like, take this... Uh, this would be like a good time for a little bit. And I was like, all right. I thought it was like a little bit of just like some molly or something like that. Just, you know, a couple hours of fun. So I take it. And I'm not really feeling anything. Um, maybe like 45 minutes go by. I'm not really feeling anything. So I walk uh, down this grassy hill to my car to get a bottle of water. And as I'm walking down the hill the grass just starts growing real fast all around me. And before I know it, it's like I'm in a freaking cornfield of grass, and I'm, like, pushing this grass out of my way. I hear, like, little children when i in my ears. I'm walking to my car. And, like, reality splits in two, and, like, they're both, like, a different color, like a little offset from each other. And I'm just like, oh, boy, like, what the fuck is going on? So I, I get the bottle of water, and I'm walking back up through this insane grass that's growing all around me. And I get back up to the stage, and, um, One of my good buddies was the sound guy, so I just sit behind him um, as the band is playing. And I'm sitting in this chair, and I look up at uh, my buddy Steve, who's the sound guy, and he looks like he's fucking 150 feet tall. (laughs) And I'm just sitting in this chair, and I'm just like, oh my god, I am so little, and everybody's so big. And I, I grab the back of his shirt, and he turned around, and I go... Hey man, you look really big right now. <laughs> thanks, man. You turns around me. He just keeps doing the, the sound and the lights
1: and stuff. But uh, yeah, that was a, a great time. I felt like I was the trunk of a tree at one point, <laughs> into the ground. Yeah, yeah. Watching the band. Yeah, great time. I love how the dude thought it was like a great compliment. Like, oh, thanks, man.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's really big right now. He's like five foot four. He's like, that feels really good.
2: feel the height. I feel the height. But yeah, great, crazy tripping memories. The, the, probably the craziest tripping memory that I have was um, after we all were out of the fraternity, I was living in a house on uh, South Atherton Street at Penn State, 234 South Atherton. Sure. Um, yeah, I lived right in a room right off the kitchen. It was nice. But I think there were like
1: 10 or 12 of us living there all from the fraternity. Yeah, the bro house. So we all decided to take... Yeah, yeah, the, the pro house, yeah. So we all decided to take
2: mushrooms one night. Um, I took a date, but pretty much everybody took an date. Um, and I just remember sitting on uh, my friend Jeff's bed, and all of a sudden, I, I... Okay, quick backstory. I, I was actually the one that procured the mushrooms, <laughs> so I got the first choice of the bag. Nice. Um, so I picked out, and and I heard that... Uh, the caps were the visual, what made you get the visuals, and the stems were what made you get, you know, the, the mental craziness that goes on. So I just decided to, to take an eighth of all the caps, and I didn't know what was going to happen. Oh, God. So I did that. Yeah, and so I remember sitting on the bed, and I guess that adage is true, the caps are the visual. So I'm sitting on the bed, um, friend Chris, uh, sitting on the couch right next to me, and probably 45 minutes after he took him, all of a sudden everything was, that's going a little weird. And I look over at my friend Chris and he's looking over at me and all of a sudden he just starts melting like a a pile of silly putty in the microwave. And I just, he starts laughing and I start laughing. And then before I know it, everything around me has melted down into this beige plane. And it, it just goes as far as the eye can see in all directions. I'm just like this consciousness staring out over this beige plane, infinite in all directions. Just like Scott, like, sky, nothing above me, and just this beige plane. And when any, ever anybody would talk, their face would stretch through the plane, <laughs> like uh, rubber like coming around their face, like coming up from the sea. And then and when they would stop talking, they would just go back under. And I felt like the whole time I was just paddling to keep my head above the plane because I didn't know what was going to happen if I went below it. I had to keep my consciousness like aware. Um, so that was, that was probably the craziest thing that's ever happened to me.
1: You've always had crazy, awesome <laughs> stories and reactions to getting fucked up. Yeah.
2: Um, crazy how my brain uh, reacts <laughs> to some
1: things. So when when we were driving home from the hospital one of those days with Stid back in college, um, yeah. which for the three listeners who were out there, that was our friend in college who got into an accident, but... um one time we were we were driving home from the hospital and you i think it was maybe one of the first times you had ever smoked or maybe it was the first time you got high but you got so high and i remember you were explaining things to me in the back seat and i was enthralled i was like tell me more tell me everything you're seeing do you remember that (laughs) Uh, vaguely i
2: don't remember what i said but i remember being in the situation (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, right, because the other thing was you <laughs> you would forget later. You'd be like, wait, what happened? Like, I don't remember anything. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, exactly.
1: You would have these fugue like my, states.
2: My brain would just go into this alternate mode.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, I mean, it still happens to some extent. Right. That'll happen. Yeah, it
1: happens sometimes. Yeah, great times in college. Oh, man. Um... When I was, when we were in college for one year, for one month, I did, I practiced Ramadan and I fasted with uh, Shafni. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, it was so cool. Um, because every night it was pretty much an open door invitation to like whoever's fucking Muslim house you wanted to go to. And yeah. Shafni would be like yeah we can go to my professor here or like my friend here or like my friend's cousin lives here and he's a grad student and like he would just have these like options and then there would be communal meals like on the Penn State campus for Ramadan
0: Yeah,
1: it was the fucking dopest shit ever not only am I eating good food but I'm being like welcomed into these people's houses like family cause at first I told Shafni like I feel like weird like I've never met these people he's like no it's it's an obligation for them like they have to like they want to do it and like yeah, if you don't have a place to eat with other Muslims who are fasting, then like it's our duty to like bring you <laughs> so I'm like, oh, well, that's yeah, dude, and, and this Ramadan changes depending on what year it is. So sometimes it's in August, and sometimes it's in like November. And yeah. when it's in August, or September, like before daylight savings time, it's like you got to wake up at like 5am before the sun rises just to eat and pray. Um, well, you got to wake up anyway to pray, but you eat and then like you either go back to sleep or you just hang out, but you can't eat the rest of the day. Once the sun comes out, you're done eating until it goes down. And a lot of them do no water either during the day. I didn't go that far. I tried and just yeah. would drink water when I needed, but it was really cool because it's a struggle. But like your metabolism changes and you're kind of meditating and noticing how your metabolism changes, how – after twenty days, you don't get hungry like it'd be five six, seven p m like you're not hungry, like you're all good, and then the fucking sun goes down, you get real hungry um so that like I feel like I'm I sure what's yes, and I'm sure like when when you know Muslims were some of the greatest scientists in history, so I'm sure they knew a lot about nutritional science, but it's also a way to reflect on on your source. And how you're provided for, and how you and the a- external world and the universe around you are, you know, connected, and how your body can adjust and like adjust to the universe, adjust to the circumstances. So it's a really great. It's
2: crazy how the advertising industry has just destroyed that over the
1: past fifty years. Destroyed what part? Just destroyed
2: us, like knowing our own bodies and stuff, and we we stop trusting ourselves and start trusting just what the you know the big corporations are telling us.
1: Absolutely. And like, or or science, like, we don't, I, I imagine like before the internet and before entertainment, like you said, before advertising, um, people probably like listen to their bodies a lot more and we're just like, yeah, um, I, I imagine like hunter gatherers, like real early humans that had fucking nothing like they, I'm sure they did a lot of body scan meditation where they would just breathe and um, because like thought is free and thought is eternal and abundant so it's like i can i can always think or i can always breathe and so i'm sure there was a lot of thought experiments that went on then a lot of storytelling yeah and they died at 30 yeah yeah um (laughs) yeah yeah they did (laughs) well i think we're supposed to live till 30 (laughs) to be like
2: well i actually read i actually read pretty recently that um like the ancient greeks It's erroneously thought that they'd only live to around 35, but Mm. the true statistic is that 50% of all kids died before age 10. So if you made it to age 10, you were most likely going to live into your 40s or 50s. So that's like the real statistic that
1: I heard. They were all being fucked to death? Yeah, I
2: mean, just, just... died of, like, a childhood illness, that, you know, no vaccines back then. So, I mean, just think about that. Half of all kids died. So, I mean, my mom has three kids. Mm-hmm. She, you know, one or two of us would be dead. Right. So, and it's, just, it's crazy, man. And people are like, yeah, vac- vaccines, like, they, they will mess you up. But, like, no, 50% mortality rate without vaccines. Like, it's crazy. There has to be some kind of vaccine if we have the technology.
1: I'm on the fence with vaccines, but you are so right about <laughs> having a kid that's, one of your kids is going to die, <laughs> statistically. Um, yeah, like do, you, like, do you know any, like, how many people do you know that, that had kids that died before they were 10? Like, probably not many, maybe one or two, if, if like, you, you know, had a large, you know, group of people that you know, especially with Facebook, but I mean... Yeah, I was you know, only able, I was heroes. only, I was only able to kill two, so yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, so I mean, that's, that's pretty good.
1: Stop the screaming.
2: <laughs> Take it That's right. But I mean, yeah, you have like you have like SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome that like we don't really know the cause of. But I mean, you know, kids dying is is pretty rare in the you know the, the first world as we call it. Obviously, in like Syria and stuff like that, much more common when there's wars going on. But in our little bubble here. Uh, we've done a pretty good
1: job. Yeah, like think about like an EpiPen for anaphylactic shock. Like, oh, how'd she? Yeah. How did your daughter die? Oh, should we fucking tried raspberries?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, I, I'm allergic to soy milk, and I found that out that one night in college. I well, apparently, when you're allergic to something, you have it for the first
1: time, nothing happens, and uh-huh. then it's the second time that really messes with you. Second so I had, had, I had tried
2: soy milk the night before in uh, some delicious cinnamon toast crunch cereal um, and everything was fine. And then the next night I had it again and all of a sudden my throat started closing up. And I, I remember I, I called my dad. and It was probably, I you don't know, maybe nine ten o'clock at night. I was like, hey, dad, um, I just had some uh, some soy milk and cereal and my throat's closing up. Do you think I should call the hospital? Um, I feel like it's really close. Yeah, it's closing up. I'm going to call the hospital, okay? And then I just hung up. And then I everything that happened after that, I... I You know, didn't have time to call him back. The ambulance came. They gave me, like, a steroid drip with Benadryl. Took me to the hospital, put me to bed. So, like, I I didn't have my phone to to talk to my dad. So my parents are literally freaking out, calling every single hospital and police station in the area trying to find me. And I'm just, like, sitting
1: in the hospital, doped up on freaking Benadryl. (laughs) Oh, God. What a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, it was was an interesting experience.
1: Yeah, you would have just been dead. (laughs) (laughs) You know? crazy. Yeah. What the fuck did they do about, um, allergic reactions back then? Like food or allergies? Uh,
0: they, they buried you.
1: <laughs> I guess so. But yeah. The, um, so I used to be obsessed with the population problem and yep. for 40 years, you know, if you look at the population growth, it's like, we're going to reach like 30 billion. Like the, the planet can only support like 15 billion or whatever, or 20 billion. And like, we're gonna surpass that in 20 years or 30 years. Um, yeah. oh, but the thing is, what happened was uh, this guy Hans Rosling is a, a health professor in Sweden and he does a great job of explaining and showing this. But he was saying essentially a
2: lot
1: of TED Talks on TED.com. That's right, Mr. Hans. Yep. So yeah. So he was pretty much saying that if you were a farmer in Bangladesh, he he like flew to Bangladesh to do like a little segment. And he was like let's say you're a father in Bangladesh and you would have a f- your family would have five kids or six kids because two of them were going to die before the age of 2 and then he took a knife and he actually murdered two of this guy's kids and then he said <laughs> and then he said another one's going to die between the ages of 10 and 15 and then he murders that kid <laughs> he said so this is why you would have six kids because three of them were going to get murdered by a crazy Swedish public policy guy. And, um, but he was saying that that changed after world war II because of things like tuberculosis vaccine and polio vaccine and, and, and treatments for malaria. Um, so like the, they, it took them a generation to catch up. You know, they were having six kids and all six of them were sticking around. So, um, it's going to, now that we've adjusted, like on the, on the, on the grand timeline, the line graph, it just looks like a small downward blip, but we're going to continue going upwards. But in reality, that small blip is, is changing the whole trajectory because the number of children per family is going down in developing countries, which is what we need. It's due to better health. I'm 30. I don't
2: have any kids. Do
1: you? (laughs) Right. Well, I also read this article that immigrants are important because we the the, the the homegrown U.S. population is older, and um, has less less of a workforce than you know the immigrants coming in. Yeah,
2: I feel like that's gonna kind of hit us hard maybe within the next decade. I don't
1: know. Boy, oh boy, who knows? I mean, Silicon. Yeah, who knows? Silicon. It's not doom and gloom. Silicon Valley, like, talks about a potential brain drain because I didn't realize that we get a lot of programmers from Syria and from Iraq. Oh, yeah. Big time. I figured, like, I don't know why. I just figured, like, Pakistan and and because the perception of these, like, the perception of Iran is that people don't have electricity. Like, people don't have books there and, like... I forget, like, oh, yeah, there's, like, colleges there, and, like, you can be, like, an engineer in, like, Pak. Paci- I mean, I figured more so Pakistan than, yeah, like, Iran or Iraq or Syria. But, yeah, they're there,
2: apparently. Yeah. Just people, you know what I mean? You just, you wake up in a body, wherever you are, and you got
1: to deal with it. You wake up in a body. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I some. I sometimes ask my four-year-old nephews if they remember, like... Because my one nephew, um, Caleb, has an amazing memory. He remembers... He's four and a half, and he remembers, like, where they parked in the parking lot when he was two and a half years old to go to something, to go see Santa Claus. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so every once in a while, I'll be like, Hey, Caleb, do, can you remember... Like, what's your earliest memory? And I'll be like, can you remember, like, what it was like being in the womb? Like, I'm wondering... I'm, I'm like, if anybody fucking remembers, it's this kid. <laughs> Yeah. Like, do you remember what it was like to be like before you were born? Let's see what he says. Yeah, it'd be
2: interesting. I mean, I've seen like the the videos on YouTube of like he remembers his past life or like something like that, but who knows, you know?
1: Well, going back to what I said a earlier, like everything's metaphors. Like your breathing is a metaphor for the seasons, and it's 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 proof that we're all just one thing. It's a it's the same metaphor repeating itself. So. Yeah. Um, You know, if somebody has a story of a past life, I mean, I did a past life regression with, like, a hypnotist, so to speak. Oh, really? Yeah, it was when I had Lyme disease, and I was just trying to find any answers. Um, Yeah. And it it was pretty much guided meditation, and you can do this yourself. I love doing this. It's called astral projection. But... Yeah. Yeah, like just start meditating. Once you're sufficiently relaxed, you envision yourself walking down a set of stairs and you open up the door at the bottom of the stairs and there's a long hallway in front of you and there's doors on each side of the hallway. And just pick a door and just open up that door and see where it takes you. (laughs) And they call it a past life regression, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't like... I don't believe that you physically... It's. I don't think there's a one to one correlation of I used to be in this bag of skin and I used to be in that bag of skin. You know.
2: Right.
1: I think going kind back. Of like a
2: hamburger at McDonald's, there's like a hundred cows in each
1: one. <laughs> Do you. That's a great. You're right. A thousand different cows in my beef patty.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is true. Um and go well going back to like what, I was saying about the brain being like a radio tuner. Um, Uh if you're having a past life regression, that could easily be you tuning into another consciousness, you know, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you, you, and only you were that person in a past life. Like I think anybody, everybody was that person, you know?
2: Yeah. We are everyone. We are no one.
1: Mother Teresa had a famous quote when she was working with lepers in South America with leprosy, she said... I'll
2: never get my lucky charms.
1: They, she did get the lucky charms. She kind of looked like a leprechaun.
2: <laughs> that was, uh, she was like, I will get the lucky charms.
1: Right. Who, who would have thought an old Italian broad was going to be getting the, uh, the fucking leprechaun's lucky charms? No, but um, yeah. her, her line was, um, every day I see the face of Jesus in all his most distressing forms. And it's cool because yeah. she just... Did't think of them as people with leprosy. she saw them as you know part of part of this kind of divine web
0: yeah
1: good broad, good broad that mother Teresa The
2: mother
1: what'd you say about my mother? <laughs> well. Mr. Lee, what do you think? Should we pause? Yeah. Should we pause for a week?
2: Yeah, we can do that.
1: I think we got some stuff off our collective chest. Yeah,
2: I think we got some good stuff going
1: on. Yeah, why not? It's the unnecessary podcast. Yeah. What are you gonna do?
2: Yeah, it becomes necessary through the unnecessity of it all.
1: <laughs> I I didn't really I didn't get that, but but. You know what I what I'm what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to get high and I'm going to reflect on what just happened. I thought I think we had some beautiful some beautiful sentiments back and forth, some memories perhaps.
2: Yeah, potential.
1: Some good memory. Yeah, so I'm going to get high. I got to get an emissions test for the old Colorado DMV. <laughs> and I uh, got
2: do emissions out there.
1: Eh? We sure do. We care about the environment here, only in like 15 counties though. We care about Fifteen counties.
2: Yeah, actually, when I moved up to uh, the Poconos, they don't require emissions up here. Um, I guess the mountains
1: suck it all in. So nice, good. nice. Oh, hey, before we go, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a shameless plug, and then I'll let you do a shameless plug. Okay. So my shameless plug is for um, this political action committee that um, I've been an organizer for. It's called Wolfpack, and pretty uh-huh. much. At Wolfpack, we focus on grassroots state legislators um, and, and grassroots political action to eventually present a constitutional convention to the national legislature. So the way we do this is um, through what's called the free and fair elections resolution. We pass it in each individual state and we 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 support and encourage our state legislators, the guys that only make 30 grand a year, the guys that aren't yet corrupt, the non-Chuck Schumer, non Cory Bookers out there, they're very accessible. Yeah. So we go to them and we say, you want money out of politics, right? You want us to have a constitutional convention about the Supreme Court action of Citizens United and, and having billionaires sway elections and not having a true representative democracy. You're for that, right? And we get them to sign off. And then once 34 states sign off on it, we're going to have a constitutional convention and it'll lead to a lot of sweeping specific legislations. But essentially we're putting grassroots pressure on our representatives to have the conversation. And if they are unwilling to have the conversation, we just fucking elect somebody else. It's pretty dope. So um, it's called it's called Wolf Pack. We're all around the country. Wolf P.A.C. So fucking look it up. And it's a lot of fun. There's cool people doing it. And like it's really, you do make a difference. So I suggest you okay. become a member, Lee. So that's my shameless plug. What's your shameless plug?
2: Okay, my shameless plug is a little less pressing than the matters of your shameless plug. I feel a little overshadowed by the death of your uh, commitment to American democracy here. No. However, um, I do have a band called Time Relapse. Uh, we are throwing a music festival uh, May 12th to 14th, uh, out in central PA-ish area in Elysburg. Um, at a campground called Massieport Campground. It's right by Knoebels Amusement Park. Uh, if you've never been to Knobles, you are missing out. It is the country's largest free amusement park. Um, you pay, you know, per ride, whatever you want to do. They got uh, two of the best wooden roller coasters in the country. It's awesome. Nice. Um And actually, fun fact... So the drummer of my band, Time Relapse, his dad, is the owner of the arcade in Knoebels, or the general manager, or something like that, so that's pretty cool. I also have the number two highest uh, top scorer of the Star Trek pinball, pinball machine in the arcade of so if you want to go try to beat my score, feel free, uh, but we are throwing a music festival right by there called the Spring Three stival. Uh Three Stivel because it is $33 for three days, uh, there's 18 bands, which is a multiple of three. Um. So, uh, pre-sale is actually March third at three thirty-three p.m. Ticket prices will go up to forty-two dollars, and then they're going to be uh, around fifty at the actual gates. So, but buy them. Find us on Facebook, Spring Festival, and that's all I got to say about that.
1: So the name of the band is Time Relapse. The festival is called the Spring Threestival. What town, in Pensil- what town in Pennsylvania is the, the Spring festival being held? That's
2: in Eriesburg, PA, right next to that Canobles Amusement Park.
1: Did you say Eriesburg?
2: Eriesburg with an L as in
1: uh, Lucifer. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, Eriesburg. <laughs> and tickets go on sale March 3rd, buy early. And um, what, what date is the festival? Uh, May 12th or 14th. Awesome. That sounds like a really fun weekend. Check out some wooden roller coasters. Try and beat Lee's high score. Listen to some awesome music. I like that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll put a link to Time Relapse's Facebook page on our website, so you can check that out. Oh, All right, Lee. It's time for our 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 leaving music. So this has been the Unnecessary Podcast. You can't hear it because you're on the phone, but it's playing right now. This has been the unnecessary podcast and my name's AJ and this is Lee. I'll see you guys next week. We'll see you guys next week. Love you.